chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look at a number of scripture here today. We'll start in Matthew chapter 5 because we're still talking about salt and light. You know, um, salt and light is really an interesting subject. You could almost have a science class on Sunday morning talking about this stuff, uh, and I'm trying not to do that. Uh, But, you know, I would really encourage you, uh, just on your own, do a little research. You might be surprised. And and as you do that research, I want you to think about the spiritual implications of the scientific things that you're reading. See, we want to say science is one thing and God is another thing. Well, God invented science, okay? So you can't separate science from God and God from science. Uh, We have light because God said, let there be light. So God knows all about light. God knows all about salt. He knows about how all of this works. And and when he uses these things as analogies in the Word of God, and he says, for instance, in Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. And he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. That's a... That's not just a flippant statement, I believe, that Jesus is making. And I believe God created salt and light with properties that speak to who we are to be. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. Look at your neighbor and say, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. Now look at your other neighbor and say, you are the light of the world. How do we know? Because that's what Jesus said. Now turn over to John, John's gospel, the gospel of John chapter 1. And let's read together the first five verses of, John, of John's gospel, the gospel of John. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, who's He? The Word. He, the Word, Jesus Christ, was in the beginning with God. Well, who is this Word? He is God. Do you understand what that's saying about who Jesus is? Yeah. All things were made, verse 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him, without the Word, without Christ, nothing was made that was made. What is the first thing that we see being made in Genesis? In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Yeah. Verse 4, John 1, 4, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. I want to ask you, how are you salting your earth, and how are you lighting your world? Or are you? Do you guys realize that we live in a world that is full of wonder? I am convinced of this. uh, That we are walking through this world, through this life, and we are oblivious to the wonder that is all around us. We are focused on things that are so not wonderful We have excluded and become blind to the wonder that is all around us. And we really need to pray and ask God to begin to open our eyes and open our hearts and open our understanding that we can begin to see the wonder of all that is around us, of of everything that speaks of Him. What? What is created that he did not create? What's the Bible tell us? Nothing. There is not anything in heaven, on earth. I'm telling you what. 
angels, demons, stars, moons, galaxies, black holes, white dwarfs, protons, neutrons, photons, atoms, molecules. The, the biggest, the grandest scale you can think of that you've got to look through a telescope orbiting out in space to the very smallest, minute universe that, that is all around us that we can't see because it's micro. From the macro to the micro, he created it, everything. And there's not anything that exists in the macro or the micro that he did not create. And the scripture tells us that all of those things, macro, micro, all around us, they were made from nothing. He spoke them into existence. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In him, John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. If we're salt and we're light, how are we salting and how are we lighting that which is in and around us? How are we doing it? So I want to think about a couple of things here. Let's, let's talk about salt, for instance. You are the salt of the earth. As believers, we are to be salting the people God calls us into relationship with. I mean, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, and, and, and he says in Mark, and he says in Luke, we know that he's talking about people, and he's talking about relationships, because turn over to Mark chapter 9. Let's look at what he says here. 9 verse 50. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. So he's relating to salt and having salt in yourself and being the salt of the earth with how we, what, relate to one another. So the point of Jesus telling us we're the salt of the earth has to do with relationship. I mean, it absolutely has to do with our relationship with him, and it also has to do with our relationship with one another. But it still stands that he tells us that we are the salt of the earth. So let's think about what he's speaking to us in that statement. You are the salt of the earth. Do you know, now think about this, how do we know, based on the account of creation, what are we made of? Well, we're made of water. Yeah, we're water. But, but it doesn't say God took water and formed man. It says he took what? <laughs> he took the dust of the earth, didn't he? I mean, when you, and science knows this. Science has done this. When you, when you take a human body and you, you reduce it down to the very elements of what's there, there is a value, current market value of everything that you are. All the minerals and the things that basically how much your dirt is worth. Let's just say that, okay? So, here's the reality. You are earth inhabited by spirit. Or we could say it like this. You are dirt inhabited by spirit. God took the dust of the earth. He formed it into a man. He took clay. Well, now we know that clay wasn't dry, right? Because you can't take... Can you take dry sand, dry clay, and form it into anything? What do you got to put with it? Yeah, yeah. So there was water there, but the substance of who we are is, is, is the earth. It's the dirt, right? And then God took that man that he formed from the dust of the earth, from the dirt of the earth, and he breathed his spirit into that man. And that man became a living being. So... If we just want to get real basic, you are earth inhabited by spirit is what you are. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus said, in your earth, let there be salt. Do you know that, that, that salt is necessary for life? It is. It absolutely is. You know, uh, if you... Do you know you can drink so much water that it'll kill you? 
if you drank, if you drank too much water, everybody says, oh, water is good for you. Most Americans don't drink enough water. Well, that's true. So I read an article a few months ago of a lady who went on a health kick, and she didn't think she was getting enough water, and she drank so much water, she killed herself. You know why? Because she ended up washing all the sodium, all the minerals out of her body. And she went into shock. Her body did, and she died. Heart couldn't beat. Her organs couldn't function. Now, I know everybody's, you know, you get too much salt, but, but I'm telling you, God made us. He knew what he was doing when he made us. So you are the salt of the earth. Now, we're talking about relationship here. Let's get away from science and medicine. Let's get back to what we're talking about here. But see, it all connects, right? All right, so what is the, what is the earth you're to be salting? Now, think about this. If, if, if these represent relationships, think about these relationships. Think about your family, your spouse, your children, your parents, your cousins, your brother, your sister, I, I'm just whatever family relationship, grandparents. Those are relationships you are to be salting. You are to have an influence. God established the family. He created the first family and blessed them to be able to have children and multiply. So... God was all about parents and grandparents and children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters and as big as you want the family tree to get. God did that. He ordained family. And we are to be salting those relationships that are represented in our families. Now think about this. There's another family we're a part of. We're a part of the family of God, your church is a corporate body of people that we are to be salting. There's a reason we come together. We shouldn't come here out of guilt. We shouldn't come here because we're afraid God's going to punish us if we don't. It really is. Relationships are a two-way street, aren't they? I mean, we're married to our wives or our husbands because we enjoy one another, right? There. There's a two-way street here in, in the relationships. It's the same with the body of Christ. We should, we should enjoy one another when we come together. And in coming together, there is a giving and a receiving. But this corporate relationship called the body of Christ, we are to be salting one another as we assemble together. And within this corporate relationship, I mean, just the very fact that you're here, whether you, whether you talk to someone specifically, whether you, just the fact that we're all here. It's like Caleb said, your singing was loud. There is something that's encouraging when we hear one another loudly sing, even if I don't distinctly recognize your voice. All of our voices put together, it does something. It's, it's encouraging. It builds us up. We're salting one another when that takes place. Or the personal, individual relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to be salting one another through those individual relationships. Your brothers and your sisters in Christ are individuals that you are to be salting. Hey, are you okay today? You look a little down. Hey, what's going on? I haven't talked to you lately. Hey, can I pray for you? Hey, will you pray for me? Can we come together and can we be that people? We had, we had prayer and worship Wednesday night. And I just made a passing statement that I was feeling a little bit heavy. And Myra just picked up on it. And she asked if the elders would come and pray over me. You know, that was really encouraging for me. Are we afraid to come in and say, you know, I'm not feeling very good today. Hey, would you guys pray for me? I'm just not having a great day. Or do we feel like we got to have this face on? I can't have a bad day because I'm the pastor. Or I can't have a bad day because I'm a believer. No, see, that's part of salting one another. That's part of being salt. That, that in those relationships, 
And this is a ready-made environment for us to be able to do that for one another. And in, in doing that, we, in giving, we are receiving. In receiving, we are giving. I can't give what I can't receive, right? And so, your brothers and sisters, well, all those are pretty, I mean, we know that, right? But are we doing that? Is that our mindset when we come together? What about your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Jesus asked this question. He said, who's your neighbor? Well, the answer is, really and truly, everyone's my neighbor in a sense. Who's not my neighbor? And so I want you to think about how are you being salt? How are you salting your neighbors? The people that you are interacting with through your daily life, whether those are people you work with or people you, the clerk at the store, the person you just encounter by chance somewhere, are, are you salting them? What is, what is your influence there? What do they take away from that daily encounter, or from, from that brief encounter, or from that encounter that is just part of your life, week in and week out? What do your coworkers think about you? What is the witness that we are giving? Now, this isn't a thing where we're living under condemnation. Oh, I'm under pressure, man. I'm no, see, it should just be a natural thing. I mean, a parent loves their children, right? It's a natural thing for a parent to love their children. It should be natural for us to be salting the neighbors, the people that we come in contact with. Not that we're perfect. When we're not perfect, whether it's with our family or our, our natural family, our church family, I mean, can we just say, hey, I blew it. Sorry. Forgive me. And I'm sorry. I just, I'm under pressure and I just let the stress get to me. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have had that tone. Can we, can we do that? Can we give that? Can we receive that from one another? That's part of being salt. Amen? It's part of being salt and light. And when we think about all of those relationships, from our most intimate family relationships down to our neighbors, this is what makes a community. What is the community we call Taylor? What is it? Well, if we look at the census report, we say it's a city defined by these geographical boundaries, and within those geographical boundaries, we estimate there are some 15,000 people here. Well, yeah, that's true. But, but really, who are those people that make up this community? Not just within the city limits, but, but the community that we impact all around us. Well, their families, their husbands and wives, their children, their sisters and brothers. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're our neighbors. They're the clerk at the store. They're the person we work with in our business, in our place of employment. They're the people that we, we interact with every day. Whether it's briefly or... This is who makes up the community. How are we salting our community? How are you? How am I? Salting my community. It begins, it begins with me, right? It's kind of like the Great Commission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the utter ends of the earth. It begins with me. Jesus said in Mark 9.50, have salt in yourself. Because I can't salt anything or anyone if I don't have salt in myself, right? Have salt in yourself. Be at peace with one another. It starts here, having salt in ourselves. But it moves out from there to where we are impacting our community. How are you? How am I? How is Christ's fellowship? How is the body of Christ in Taylor impacting this community? It might be inviting someone over for coffee. It might be saying, you know what? I'm going to start a Bible study in my home. It might be joining a life group. It might be, how many of you just invite someone that you know doesn't go to church? 
How many of you just invite them to come? Hey, I'm going to come pick you up. Let's go to church Sunday, and then we'll go eat lunch. Or we'll get together. How many of you do that? That's a real simple thing. See, I don't have the answers of how you're going to do that, but here's the question. How are we salting the earth? This is the earth God has put us in. Uh, We don't live in Timbuktu. We don't live in China. We don't live in Costa Rica. We live in Taylor. Now, you can have a burden for all those places, but I'm telling you what, God on purpose puts you in Taylor. So how are we salting the earth we call Taylor? God puts you in the family that you're in. You were born to the parents you were born to. You were born, how are you salting the family that God's put you in? You're a husband, you're a wife, you're a parent. How are you salting your family? You work at so-and-so. I've been there for 12 years. How are you salting the people in that workplace? I shop at this store. I buy my gas at this store. I see this person all the time. How are you being salt? To those people that God has allowed you and privileged you to be in relationship with at whatever level. How? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Do you know how salt works? You know, we say salt flavors and salt preserve, pre- preserves, right? How many of you use salt in your cooking? Now, I don't know. Tell me if, if I've got this right. How many of you have... You know, in your kitchen, you got your spices, whether it's in your spice rack or wherever. But somewhere close to where you cook and you do your cooking. How many cooks do I have here? How many people like to cook? Okay. Somewhere close to where you cook, you have a container of salt, right? You got a salt shaker. Has the salt ever flavored your food while it's still in the container? No. You know how salt works? Salt works by contact. If salt doesn't contact your food, it doesn't flavor your food. Now, the salt is just as important in that container, but the salt has no impact. It's not flavoring anything if it remains in the container. Salt works by contact. And you are the salt of the earth through your relationships with those you touch through your life, the people you are in contact with in your life. If you're not contacting them, you're not flavoring them, you're not salting them. And we need to be salt that's not lost its flavor. We don't need to be the impurity that's left and we just give everyone this bitter taste. Mm -mm. That's not who we are. Salt works by contact. You salt the earth through the people you are in relationship with, the people you're in contact with. In Christ, we are salting the earth through the relationships we build with one another as we impart the flavor of salt. You know what the flavor of salt is? It's Christ. Christ is the flavor of the salt. And as we are in relationship with one another, it should be the flavor of Christ that we are imparting to one another. Amen? Be salty. Be salty and build relationships. Now, Jesus says in in, in verse 14 of Matthew 5, He says, You are the light of the world. So the world you are to be lighting are the people all around you. Now, I I distinguish the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. The salt of the earth, the people we're to be salting, that's, that's a different thing. Salt does a different thing than light does. But they're both very important. And when I... When I read Jesus making this statement, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, if salt works by contact, I can't salt those I'm not in contact with. I can't do it. So being the salt of the earth speaks specifically of our relationship with one another. 
have peace with one another. Well, the person over there that I don't know, I might see him, but I, I'm not in relationship with that person. I have no contact with that person. They may see me at a different, you know, there's people that know me just because, you know, I do have kind of a distinguished look. Oh, you're that bald-headed preacher, you know. I mean, people really recognize my hairdo, you know. And so I, I find people that know me, I have no clue who they are, but they know me. Oh, you're that pastor. Yeah. You used to have hair, didn't you? Well, yeah, I did. Who are you? Oh, you don't know me, but I know you. Well, I don't have a relationship with them, but obviously I have been a witness in some form or fashion to them. So I want you to draw this distinction. You are the salt of the earth, but you can only salt that which you are in contact with. But you are the light of the world. You can be a witness to even those that you don't have relationship with. People can observe you at a distance, and you have no idea they're observing you, and your life can be a light to them, a witness to them, and you don't even realize it. Your life is speaking right now to people. Your life is not only speaking to human beings, but it's speaking, the Bible says, to powers and principalities. So you are the light of the world. The world you are to be lighting are the people and the things all around you. Some may know Christ, some... I believe, as defined by the world, the world, by definition, I believe, are those who do not know Christ. Those who are of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. But it doesn't matter, believer or non-believer, it really doesn't matter. You are providing a witness to somebody. There is a light that we are to be illuminating, shining. So you are the light of the world. Look what... Ephesians 5.8, Paul says, You once were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Ephesians 5.8. Jesus says this in Matthew 5.14, You are a city. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So you're a city collectively. This is what the church is. The church is like a city on a hill. We can't hide our light. Have you ever... It didn't formulate in your mind traveling through a dark land and all of a sudden you come up on a crest of a hill and in the distance you see a city situated on top of a hill and the lights of that city shining. This is who the church is to be. We are to be that city on a hill that is, that is a beacon, that that those in darkness can look to. And they can say, hey, there's light there. You're a lamp, Jesus says. A light that is to give light to all who are in the house. All. I believe this. We are to give light to all who are in the world. Saved or unsaved, it doesn't matter. Our life is speaking something. Let your light shine before men, Jesus said. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. You know, the only good works that we have are in Christ. We're not saved by our good works. But if we are in Christ, God, Ephesians 2.10, God has prepared good works for us to walk in. And he prepared them before he created all that we see around us. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The ultimate end of us lighting the world, being light, you are the light of the world. The ultimate end of that is so that men will ultimately glorify the Father in heaven. Amen? So you're a light of the world shining and so you are distinguishing what? You are distinguishing light from darkness. That light distinguishes what is light and what is darkness. When light is shining, there is a, dis- uh, there is a distinction between light and darkness. You are in this world 
to give a distinction between light and darkness. That is what our life is to do. And ultimately, the light that we are shining is to point men to the glory of the Father. So, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Since we have this ministry, we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4, look at this. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, look at this. For it is the God who commanded light, to shine out of darkness, Genesis 1, who has shone in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not ourselves. Now remember I said you are earth inhabited by spirit. Well, here Paul has given us the same picture. The Spirit of God is the light of God that's in you. The light, Christ is the light. He is the light that gives light to men. It's Christ in you. You are just a vessel of clay. You're like that clay lamp. It's not the lamp that's shining. It's the light that's being emitted from that lamp that is shining. You know, remember the little plastic light I had? It wasn't the plastic housing that was shining last weekend. Go and get your mag light tonight and go outside and turn it on. It's not your aluminum, your beautiful aluminum mag light that's shining. It's the, it's the light that's coming from that thing. Listen, this flesh isn't shining. This flesh is just a, a clay container that houses the light that is within me. And the light that is within me, I didn't put there. Who put it there? The same God who said, let there be light in the very beginning of the first creation is the, is the God who has now caused light to shine out of the new creation. You are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You finished the rest of this letter. This is why it's important. Study your Bible in context and you'll understand much better what is being written here. Don't just pull things out of the air and say, see, this is what the Bible says. No, that's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is in the context of what's being written and spoken and inspired by the Spirit of God. So Christ is the true light. We are the light of the world because why? Because Christ is in us. Amen? You are the light of the world because Christ is in you. He is the light that is shining out of our hearts and into the world. Now, light is a real interesting Thing. Do you know that the overwhelming majority of light is not visible? How many of you knew that? Most light, the vast majority of light, is absolutely invisible. You can't see it. There is only, and I'm not a scientist and I don't understand, it boggles my mind. The more I read and studied about this, the more my mind became boggled. And Spencer was sitting there one day, and I was reading and doing a little study on this, and I said, Spencer, I feel so stupid. This is, this is mind-boggling. But, but when you begin to look and you make the connection, this isn't science, and now we're having some you know, superstitious thing we call Christianity. No, it is all related. Who made the light? God made the light. And God on purpose only made a very small spectrum of light visible to the human eye. The vast majority of light is absolutely invisible. Y'all, who knows who Roy G. Biv is? Y'all know who Roy G. Biv is? He's the guy who invented light. How many of you knew that? He's not. 
Roy G. Biv. Red, orange, yellow, green, indigo, and violet. It's, a, it's an acronym to help you understand the visible spectrum of the light. Indigo actually is not even visible. They just put it in there so Roy G. Biv would have a, a vowel in his last name. Those are the colors, that's, those are the lights that we can see. Did you know, this, this just, do you know that this, do you know that this podium really is not black? I don't really know what color it is. It's not black. It's not the aluminum or the paint that makes this black. You know why it's black? It has to do with the light that's reflecting or not reflecting off of this thing. My wife doesn't like to get into all this, but I said, you know, I started being kind of silly. I said, you know, the reality is we don't know what color anything is. I mean, this shirt's not blue. These pants aren't blue. It's just that blue light's reflecting off of them. That's why they look blue. I really don't know what color they are. Now, you guys go home and turn the TV off and brew you a pot of coffee and sit down with a good cup of coffee. I want you to think about that for a minute or maybe a couple of hours. Do you know that the overwhelming majority of light is invisible? I started thinking about that. I thought, well, well, now that's got some spiritual implication right there. And God, who invented light, who created light, he did that on purpose. So light works in the most mysterious of ways, both seen and unseen. Light is much more than what we can actually see with the human eye. Only a very tiny part of the light spectrum can be seen by the human eye. What is unseen, now listen to this, what is unseen is by far much much greater than what is seen. If that is true for light, do you know what the implications are there? Because who is the light? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Christ is the light. You think all there is to know of God is contained in the three inches of wood pulp here, I call my Bible. No more than all the light can be defined by Roy G. Biv. Can't, no. And even what we know to be true, we really don't understand. Boy, isn't that true? I know God, but, and that is true, but the reality is, I don't really understand. He is beyond my comprehension. So there is much more to light than what can actually be seen. So there is much more that is not yet seen and not yet known in terms of Christ and all that has been put in subjection to Him. Hebrews 2 Verse 8, let me read it to you. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus. Just because I can't see all the light doesn't mean all the light's not there. You are the light of the world. But who you are, and here's what the Bible tells us this, who you truly are, what we can see, is only a very minute part of what we cannot see. John says one day, one day, When we are face to face with him, we don't know 
what we will be, but we know that when we stand face to face, when we meet him, we will be as he is. I, don't, I know in part as he is, but I, I can't be on my comprehension. So in Christ, we are lighting the world for men to see his glory. And here's the cry of men. I want to know everything. I want to understand everything. Well, if you can prove to me there's a God, then I'll believe it. And the reality is, and this is hard for us to accept, but the fact that they do not see all things really is irrelevant. The fact that I can only see a billionth of the spectrum of light is really irrelevant because... The rest of it's there, whether I can see it or not. Whether men can see, everything is really irrelevant. Because God has ordered this world such that there is a part that we can see, and that is what defines everything. My shirt, my jeans are blue. I don't know if this is blue. It's kind of blue, gray, purple. I don't know. These are called blue jeans. Because God in his infinite wisdom has ordained it that blue is something I can see. But I can't see the microwaves that are cooking my food or heating my food. And when I go to the dentist and they x-ray my teeth, I can't see the light rays that are taking a picture of my bone structure and my teeth. But I can see the photograph that came from it. But it's invisible. But it's there. It's real. What we can see, what we can't see really is irrelevant, church. Because we have been called to see Jesus. And trust, whether we see it or not, the rest is there. And know that even though I can only see a very small part, the rest is real. And it should give us hope of what we will one day be able to see. Now, I started thinking about this as I was reading all about light. And I was thinking, man, I wish I'd have been this interested when I was in school. So some of you guys that are still in school and you hate going to physics class or chemistry class or physical science class. And you just sit there and secretly text on your phone or write notes or just nap. You're not paying any attention. One day you're going to wish you'd have paid more attention. So take my advice. While you have the opportunity, take advantage of it. But here's the thing. Do you realize, do you realize what is out there that we can't see, that we don't know? But God has given us a glimpse. And that glimpse that he has given us speaks of something so much Bigger. This is why I say we live in a world filled with wonder and we walk through it blind of the wonderful things all around us. Just to consider something as simple as salt and how that speaks spiritually of who we are. Something that we take for granted every day like light. We flip it on, we flip it off. But do we really understand what it is communicating to us spiritually by the very essence, by the very nature of what it is and how God has caused it to function and how he has caused us to be able to perceive it in such a limited way. In Christ, we are lighting the world for men to see his glory. And we are the light of the world revealing the works of Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 3 and we're going to end here. Ephesians chapter 3. Why are we called the light of the world? That men would see. How can you and I see anything? Only because God has given us a very small, narrow band of the electromagnetic spectrum that enables us to see everything around us. And he did that for a specific purpose. Ephesians chapter 3, I love this scripture, starting in verse 8. 
Paul says, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, don't take for granted what Paul says there. Paul is not just trying to sound humble. I believe he truly believed that he was less than the least of all the saints. Because Paul had a revelation of Christ that enabled him to understand truly who he was in his sinfulness. And Paul understood that none of us deserve anything that God has allowed us to partake of. And to make all see, no light, there's no ability to see. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom. That word manifold is very interesting. Some translations say variegated. Some translations say multicolored. But it it somehow speaks of a multicoloredness. Kind of like a prism. When light goes through a prism, you see this rainbow effect. God says it's been given to you. It's been given to the church to make known to powers and to principalities, to the world around us, the multicolored, the variegated wisdom of God. You know, just the very fact of what that says is, is what, what, we are able, what we are able to cause the world to see is such a small, minute portion of truly who God is. Such a small, minute portion. But nonetheless, God in His grace has given to you the privilege to make known for the world to see through that very narrow band to see and witness who God is and His wisdom in saving you and His grace in saving you and His love in saving you. And it doesn't matter what's outside our ability to see We're called to focus on that which we can see. And the writer of Hebrews says, what we can see is Jesus. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. Do you have boldness? Do you have confidence in your access to Him? Do you understand that He has given you the ability to have boldness and confidence through Jesus Christ? He has. And that he has called you to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world. Don't concentrate on what you can't see. Don't concentrate on what you don't know. Concentrate on that which God has revealed to you. He has revealed his son to you. And the things that are outside of that, there is a reason why God only allows us to see Roy G. Biv. There's a reason why. We know of the other. We can see the effects of the other. Just like we know God is much bigger than all the words contained in this Bible. What Jesus did was much bigger than the four Gospels that record his three and a half years of ministry on earth, basically. John says if everything was written that he did, the world couldn't contain it. And that is exactly right. You are the salt. You are the light. Be salty and be light. And let your light shine before men. Let them see the good works that God has prepared for you to walk in in Christ Jesus, that they may glorify the Father in heaven. Amen? Let's all stand. So how do I do that, Pastor Jeff? I don't know. How do you do that?
You have opportunity every day. Every day you have opportunity. Be creative. If you can't do anything else, you can invite your neighbor to church. You can invite them for a cup of tea, a cup of coffee. You can stand over the fence and visit with them and show them the love of... I I don't know. I know you're more creative than you give yourself credit for. Ask God. God, show me how to be salt and show me how to be light. And if you're sincere, He will show you how to do it. He will. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for who You are. And we thank You that You have called us to be the salt of the earth, and you have called us the light of the world. Father, I pray that you help us be salt and be light. Help us, God, to live with eyes wide open, able to see the wonder that is all around us. Help us, God, to be people that can begin to connect the dots and really, God, begin to to live in awe and wonder of who you are and that you have, by your grace, called us to make known the Lord Jesus Christ. To make a distinction between light and darkness. To add flavor to that which you have put us in contact with. Lord, you've given us your spirit the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. There is not anything impossible with you. There is not anything outside of your power, outside of your ability. God, help us to be people that will have boldness and confidence because of that, because of that assurance and that promise that you have made real. You've given us your Spirit, Lord, as a guarantee, as an earnest. We don't have to wonder. You've done it, God. Now help us to be the children of God, walking through this world, living in this earth. Help us to be salt and light, that men would ultimately glorify the Father in heaven. We thank you for it, Lord. We give you honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen.